This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all, our Torah Anytime, for joining. So, Pesach. Pesach is coming. Oh, exciting, right? So exciting. So, so Pesach is coming, and we started a series back in 20 la 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 about the secret of the plagues. I believe it was 2019. So that's, well, that's, that's actually quite some time ago. Um, and back when we started it, you know, like uh, we went through the first year, we got a lot. We got through, I don't know, maybe f- three Makos or four Makos. And then we kind of, no, it must have been three Makos. And then we kind of uh, slowed down. So this year, Bizarre we're going to continue it. I can't say we have five classes left, so I can't say that we'll be able to complete it, but Bizarre Hashem, hopefully we'll be able to inch a little bit closer. Uh, we would like to complete it at one point. Um, and for those who don't remember, which is very likely everyone, I would strongly recommend at least to listen to the introduction. I'm going to give a little bit of an introduction, uh, like a recap a little bit, but I would strongly recommend at least to listen to the introduction back in, I believe it was 2019, that we gave the first uh, um, class on this on this series. So, uh, the idea behind, well, before we do this, let's, let's, let's do the Leilun Ishmat. So today we're learning Leilun Ishmat, Michael ben Yitzchak and Ariel Chai ben Eliezer, as well as Avram ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel ben Avraham. So, uh, the importance of this series in, in, uh, in Pesach, like, like, it's important to know the background of any Yom Tov that you're going to, any holiday that you're going into, but Pesach has an extra importance because we have a mitzvah of Sipor Yetzias Mitzrayim. We have a mitzvah to retell over the story of Yetzias Mitzrayim as opposed to, let's say, Shavuos. We don't have a mitzvah to tell over the story of Matan Torah. Of course, it's good to learn about it and it's good to know what the holiday is entailing that you're entering. However, in the in the holiday of Pesach, the mitzvah is greater for that, uh, for that reason. So, it is important to, not only to learn the background behind the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but also to consistently review it when you're coming into, into Pesach. And one of the things that you will gain, one of the many things that you'll gain by learning the, the background behind it is you'll understand so many different ideas on Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Meaning that, a lot of times we have questions on certain things that happen, but the reason we have the questions is because we don't understand the story fully. If you understand the story, it, it doesn't have to be the story. If you don't, if you understand something in all its, in all its depth, then a lot of the questions fall away because there's a clarity. There's sort of like an overall bird's eye view picture that you could see on it. So the more that you can understand a subject, the more that you can understand and relate to a subject, the more, the less questions that you'll have. And if a question comes up, you'll be able to understand the answer very quickly. So I, I would have been able to present this class in a way that you, you know, with a bunch of questions and answers, but instead we're going to try to do it more like a story-like. And that will in, will in itself help you with any questions or um, maybe maybe some some new chidushim that that can come up that on the story in it. So again, so before we begin, let's try to do a very very quick recap on the introduction to the makos to understand what the reason behind the makos are. So the 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 ten plagues <coughs> came to the Egyptians before the Jewish people left uh, Mitzrayim, and the the leader of the Egyptian uh, you know country was someone by the name of Paro. Uh, that that was like the king name going back then. Now Paro, when when Moshe and Aaron went over to Paro and said, "Let the Jews go." 
then Paro said, "Who? Why should I let the Jews go?" And Moshe and Aaron said, "No, we're we're presenting. We're coming as as as, as missionaries from from a God, from a Kadosh Baruch from Hashem." So Paro responded, "Hashem, we have a whole book of gods." He says, "Mi Hashem Bekolo. Who is this God? Uh, you know, Hashem Who is this Hashem that you speak of? I've never heard of it." Meaning that Paro denied the existence of Hashem. He didn't deny existence of a God. He wasn't an atheist. He had many gods. He, the God of the Sun. He had God, many, many, many gods. But the God that the the one singular God that he denied. So we know that the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us that the world was created with ten sayings. What does that mean is, is that there are ten times that the Torah speaks in the first chapter of Bereshis, Vayomer. It says, Vayomer Elohim Yihar. And Hashem said that there will be light. And Hashem said that there will be this. And Hashem said that there will be... Every time it says Hashem said, that is in reference to a, a, a another creation. Meaning that the world was created with ten sayings. If you count the first paragraph of Bereshis, you'll see it says nine times Vayomer, the word Vayomer, and the tenth one is Bereshis, is all, Bereshis Bar Elohim, is also counted as a Vayomer, meaning that the world was created with ten sayings, God said ten things, and that's what caused the creation of the world. Corresponding to the ten things, there is going to be ten plagues that the, the Paro that denied the God that created the world with ten sayings is now going to be afflicted with the ten plagues. And later, if we'll, hopefully we'll get to it, those ten plagues correspond to the ten commandments. It goes kind of in order. So the Orgadalyahu explains it that, uh, think of, of every time HaKadosh Baruch Hu said Vayom, every time HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, um, you know, gave another utterance, another, another creation, ha- Hashem sort of cloaked himself, like put a coat over himself, so to speak, um, in sort of a covering that it's more difficult to see God. And there were ten sayings, so there was ten, ten coverings. Every time there was a Makkah, another covering was removed, so God was more revealed to the world. Not just the power, but the entire world could see and very obviously that there is a God. So the corresponding, if you take ten coats and you remove the first coat, that means that the first coat that you remove was the last coat that you put on. The last coat that you remove is the first coat that you put on. So that's why the the, the last Makkah, is Makas Bechoros, which is the killing of the firstborn, which, what, what does it say about the killing of the firstborn? It was only HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it. Anihu It's only I that went and, and, and was, did the Makkah of killing the firstborn. That corresponds to Bereshis Baralakim. There's only one God, which is later at Tuanochi Hashem which is one God. That's, that's the, the, the circular. We're not going to go through all of them now because we go through them, uh, one by one as, as we go through each Makkah. Now the Rambam, explains that there are three types of heretics. There are three types of people that deny the existence or power of God. There are, there's, there's one group that says God didn't create the world. To that, HaGadosh Baruch Hu put in the first three plagues. Blood, frogs, lice. That is to say, to show that God did create the world. And that's why it says in the Makkah of Dam, Now you're going to know that I am God. God is basically introducing himself, hey, I am here and I created the world. The second set of heretics is that they believe that God maybe created the world, but that God doesn't intervene into the world. And that is the second set of three plagues of wild beasts, uh, pestilence, devour, and boils, which is what we're going to be speaking of tonight, Bezat Hashem. So that is, is showing that not only God created the world, but God also intervenes. And that's why in the, in the, 
when when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the warning to Paro, he said that the plagues are coming machar tomorrow, meaning that not only God created the world, but God is going to intervene exactly when God wants, meaning that he didn't say that the, the plague is going to happen now. God is going to do it at a specific time tomorrow. That's when he's going to do it, showing that God still intervenes in this world. And the final set of heretics, the, which is the final set of the three plagues, is that they claim that maybe really God created the world, and maybe really he does intervene, but does he really have the power to change nature? Like he may be a very, very powerful God that created the world. He may be that he's intervening, but maybe he can do certain things. And that's why the third set is proving that not only God created the world, God intervenes in the world, but now God also has the ability and the power to even change nature. And that's why you have a maka like like uh, hail, where there's fire and water together. Two opposing things of nature are combined together to show that God has the power to manipulate and change nature, and he overrules nature. So he has the absolute power. So the Ramban explains, the Ramban explains that there's many people that denied God. What God was doing, what Kedush Baruch Hu was doing during the Ten Makos, he was, he was basically introducing himself to the world. He says, you don't believe me? Let me introduce myself. And he was able, and, he, and the way that Kedush Baruch Hu did it is that he answered any potential question during that time and for all future times. This is why so many things that we do is Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim. You know, from Shabbos to, ev- to so many holidays, everything is Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim. Because Zechel Mitzrayim, the, the exodus of Egypt, where's where God, we, we can see that God has not only control over the world, God created the world, God intervenes consistently over the world. And not only that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the power to change nature. The last maka that we spoke about, which was Dever, pestilence, which is the, the death of the animals, the Egyptian animals, it was a seemingly a very, very simple maka. Again, you know, you could go look into that class. We spoke about it for, I think, over an hour on it. There's a lot to speak about. But it was a, a fairly what appears to be a very simple maka, like all the animals just died. And it was like an instant. So what did they do for the rest of the, the, the duration of that, of that plague? Right? There's, there's, a, there's two opinions on how the plague lasted. Either there was three weeks of warning or, and one week of the actual plague, or one week of warning and three weeks of the actual plague. Meaning that there was a time frame that they were just sitting around. Rabbi Victor Miller said, goes and says that Akadish Baruch Hu is throwing a lot of information at the Egyptians and not, and on the Jews and the entire world. But not only that, when you get bombarded with so much pain and suffering, you're talking about blood, frogs, lice, you know, there's so much going on, you can't have a minute to think. What was different about the, the, the Baka of, of Dever, of pestilence, was once the animals died, the people stayed in their home. The people stayed in their home and they were stuck over there because they were contemplating of like, I don't know if we can leave because th- there's something contagious going around and it's destroying all the animals. So out of fear, they sort of, uh, they, they had this like, you know, COVID situation where they, you know, contained themselves in a certain, to try to prevent the spread of disease. So what happens, you know, you talking about quite a few thousand years ago when there was no internet there was nothing to distract you even books had to be you know like there, there, there wasn't really that many books unless you deal with the pictures of the hieroglyphics what were they doing what were they doing for so long they were just contained during that time they were thinking there was nothing else sometimes you know we get scared to be with our own thoughts, because sometimes we don't like ourselves. So we get scared to stay home with ourselves, and that's why we try to give so many distractions, whether it's watching something, listening to something, walking something, doing something, because we can't stop and think. 
What HaKadosh Baruch Hu did in the last Makkah was like, no, now you're going to think. Realize what I'm doing to you right now. And there's a reason why it happened, specifically right before this Makkah. Before this Makkah, everybody had the free will to do tshuva. After this Makkah, there was there was no more free will. Paro didn't, we'll soon speak about HaKadosh Baruch Hu hardened Paro's heart to be able to free the Jews. Like even if Paro wanted, he wouldn't be able to, and we'll soon speak more in detail on it. But what happened was, is that, until this point, people would have been like, you know, like, I didn't have time to do tshuva. Now, this Baruch was saying, no, now, now you're quiet. Now you have nothing to do. Now, what are you doing? Are you focusing? Are you thinking? Are you contemplating on your life? Are you looking in the direction of where you're going? Are you realizing that maybe you have to do some repentance? Maybe you have to do some tshuva. Maybe you have to change your life in one way or another. If I could, if God is sending you one plague after another plague, do you stop for a second and think? And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did. And that brings us into this plague of, of, of boils. So the, um, the way it worked with warnings that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu to warn Paro, Paro did not get warned on all the plagues. The way that it worked is that the fir- there was three sets of plagues, right? So there was, there was, there was ten plagues, and you take the one, the last plague of the, of the Makas Bechoras here, that, that's in its own category. So you have three sets of three. That's three times. Three is nine. The way that it worked is that out of each set, the first two, there was warning, the last one was no warning. So blood and frogs, warning, lice, no warning, wild animals, uh, you know, was, was warning, epidemic of the, the devil was warning, but boils, which is this one, no warning. Hail and locusts, warning, darkest, no warning. That's the way that it, that it works. So this play came without any warning. Boils, shrin. Now, what, what is very interesting is that when you look at, first of all, I, I gotta say what's very interesting is that when you look into these, into these makas, when we look at it in a very super superficial way, you're like, okay, boils, they got a rash, you know, like, okay, what's the big deal, you know, like, like you know, like, okay, fine, put some little cream, you got to get neosporin, the triple antibiotic one, the pain reliever one, get that icy hot spray, and okay, fine, you you move on with your life. We don't re- unless we learn about it, we don't realize the extent of what this was going through, what the the Egyptians had to deal with, and. The extent that they had to deal with it also relates to who was involved in producing the plague. It's fascinating when you go and you look into the details. The first three plagues, the first three makos of Damsvadarakin and blood frogs and lice, they all came from below. And who brought this, this maka was Aaron. Aaron Akon, he brought this maka. The, the three plagues that were coming from the sky, which is hail, locust, and darkness that came from the sky. That came from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who 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 was able to bring those those plagues. And then there was three plagues that Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself did: wild animals, dever pestilence, and makas bechoros. Uh, and the plague of boils stands out from all of the others. The the maka that we're speaking about tonight, the maka of Shechin, the maka of boils, that is a that is a maka that was brought with a partnership of all three. The only one. The only one that brought with a partnership of all three. Hashem, Moshe, and Aaron Akon. Hashem commanded Moshe, Moshe and Aaron to each of them to take two handfuls of suit. And Aaron had two handfuls. Moshe had two handfuls. And they combined all that four handfuls into one handful of Moshe Rabbeinu. And then Moshe, you know, threw it up into the ear. Now, the, we're soon going to explain on how it worked. It went up into the ear, it spread out, and we'll, we'll give the details, you know, very shortly. But when 
when you when you when you look at the the, the way that it originated, this one is completely different than all the other ones. And if I were to ask you, even if you were very very learned on all the makas, which maka do you think? Was was one of them that was uh, combined. And by the way, this is a hint. You could ask this on your seder table. Which maka was the one that was used, that was brought about through all three Moshe, Aaron, and Akedush Baruch One of the last ones you'll probably think will be boils. Like boils is not like you know like some makas you like to speak about, like wild animals. You speak about that squid that comes out, you know, with long tentacles and gets in people's you know houses. You know, like you know, like going in through and people that have a vivid imagination probably are not going to sleep tonight after I say this, right? Imagine it coming through your window and then going through the door and then going up the stairs, right, and then squiggling, you know, under your bed and then wrapping around your bed, right? Okay, we have imagination, right? We don't have to start speaking about spiders, right? Because I think we're all well aware of that uh, i want to get you guys at least i had some sleep tonight so wild animals that's a great like blood always a great maca people love speaking about it because it's the first one gets a lot of attention right like a first child or whatever you know like everyone loves everyone equally but you know like you give a lot of attention to you know like the first one so you the blood and you get all the and the jew and the this and the that and it was amazing all the stuff but when you get to the maca of boils you're like okay boils darkness gets like gets good good PR, right? Darkness is like, okay, they froze halfway, that's a good PR. But like boils, it's like, okay, you know, they look, you know, they got some, they bumps, and uh, let's let's move on to the next one. Even grasshoppers get like, the whole night gets dark. But you go boils, sort of just like, goes right over. But boils is the one that came with all three of them. Now, why would boils be the one that comes with Hashem, Moshe, and Aaron have to be combined? One of the answers is, is, is that boils was the most harmful of all the ten plagues. It brought physical suffering upon every single Egyptian, not just their possession. And we're going to soon going to expand on this. We think just a rash. Oh no, <laughs> this is so much more. Stay tuned for more. I don't know why I'm speaking to the mic like it's closer. Like I feel like I get it. You know. Anyways, there is so much to uncover here. So much. Get excited. I don't know why. I'm excited. Apparently I'm sweating already. Okay, so now, how did the maca go? The maca, the, the maca started, we said, the four, the four handfuls of, of suit. So, so Moshe took, so there was, there was four miracles that happened over here. Number one, the first miracle was this, there was four handfuls of suit. Moshe picked up two handfuls. Aaron picked up two handfuls. They were both balanced all on Moshe's one hand. Moshe took that and he threw it up to heaven. So one miracle, the miracle number one is that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to hold four handfuls in one handful. Now, if you want to try this, you could try this with anything. You cannot even, even if you could get like one and a quarter, you cannot get even two full handfuls. But here, four full handfuls were held in Moshe's one handful. That's, that's miracle number one. Miracle number two, before we explain miracle number two, we have to first, uh, explain what's, you know, soot is. Uh, people, you know, like soot, yeah, what is that? Uh, like some sort of something that burns in ash and, you know, like firewood and who knows what. So, so, so you have something called ash and you have something called soot. Um, soot is, and let's speak about ash. When you burn, uh, you have a fireplace and you burn a log of, uh, you know, of wood, the, the ash falls on the floor. And that's, that's a heavier substance and hence it falls on the floor and people use that. You could use that for fertilizer. You can mix it. There's plenty of things that you could use it. It's something that falls on the floor. The soot is what is, it's lighter than ear. It, it goes up and it sticks to the sides of the chimney. The, it's a very, very light su- substance. So Moshe did not throw up ash 
Ash is the heavier substance. He threw soot. That's the lighter substance that, that goes up and sticks on the firewood. So imagine something super duper light. He takes that, and this is the second miracle, that something that's so weightless, something that's so light, he was able to take and throw it into the sky. If you try to throw ash, you know, try it outside, don't try it inside because it's very difficult to uh, clean up. Also, how do you getting ash? I'm not going to ask you. But if you try to throw that, it's not going to go further than a few feet. Imagine taking so forget about it. You throw it, it's just going to go fly right back in your face. You but taking something so light and throwing it straight up, that is uh that is miracle miracle number 2. If you take an arrow and you with with a strong bow and you face it up, how high can it go? 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, let's say you have a powerful arrow. The soot went all the way up to the heavens. You're talking about thousands of feet. It went all the way up. That's miracle number two. Miracle number three is this soot went and when it got to the heavens, it sort of spread over to, to, to a, uh, uh, a circumference of about 1100 miles. You're talking about 1100 square miles. That's huge. That's, that's, you know, where, where if you take something and you throw it up, at best, you're getting a few feet of circumference. Here you're talking about 11, about 1100, 1100 miles. That's miracle number three. Miracle number four is what happened was that when this soot settled and went down, it, it, it went all over Egypt. And when it went down and it came in contact with the Egyptian skin, it turned into boils. That is the fourth uh, miracle. The and this this uh, this furnace suit is is actually in uh, it kind of it symbolizes the devotion of our forefather Avram Avinu who was prepared and thrown into the furnace uh, by by the hands of Nimrod uh, because he didn't you know didn't want he didn't want to deny the existence of God and not only Nim, not only Avram also later Hananiah Mishael and Azariah as well by Nebuchadnezzar but this there's there's some sort of semblance semblance over here pa, this all was done. In front of Paro, the, the, Moshe took the ashes and he threw it, not to think that maybe this was a after effect, yeah, people had boils, okay, well, you know, you can make so much rationalization, you know why, there was before that, there was Deborah, there was pestilence, there was all the animals died, there was diseases, yeah, there's diseases, that's what happens, diseases spreads and you get a rash, and the rash, you know, spread up, it says, no, 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 no excuses to think that it was maybe some sort of natural cause, Paro, Moshe did this in front of Paro, and everybody saw exactly the reason of why there was uh, blisters that were coming at them. The second that the ash touched the Egyptian hands, it turned into blisters. The 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 scene of this, anybody who has an imagination can like just stop for a second and, and like picture this. Like imagine you have Moshe Rabbeinu, a man, who takes a handful of this of this lighter than ash substance and he throws it up and it shoots up like a missile like a firecracker it shoots up like a missile you know those guys and then it just explodes like like a, i don't know like a nuclear bomb all over everywhere and then all of a sudden the entire egypt is like a sandstorm right you can't it's foggy it's a sandstorm and all of a sudden every time that something touches and it's like almost instant like touches the they instantly like grow with like blisters. It's this is you're talking about uh, a Hollywood horror, you know, science fiction, you know, you know, production. You can't even make this stuff up. Like if you, you know, when you think about it. Now, when you look about the maca of boils, as opposed to all the other makas, there is something that sticks out here, and I could. 
I don't want to guarantee, but I could kind of guarantee that most people did not, I don't want to have a guarantee of that, guarantee that most people, that some people, oh, whatever. Okay, that most people did not even connect this to. There is something, and you could add, another thing, question number two, I have to write this down, uh, what I should ask him, I say there. Uh, you know, question number two is what's different about this maca than all the other makas? There's something that sticks out with the maca of boils that's very different than every other maca. And the answer is, is that this is the only maca, this is the only plague that it was a disease from the body. It affected everyone, and it was not an external thing. It was an internal thing. It was in your body. Let, let's go through them very quickly. Damn blood, that's that's external. That's that's water that you write. You can't anything that that you, your internal water did not turn into blood. You have blood. And you have water in your body that stayed into water. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to survive. So it was all external water that turned into blood. If it came out, if you sweat, if you cried, if you went to the bath, all that turned into blood. But otherwise, it was external. Frogs, an external animal. They went internal, but they are an external animal. Keenan bugs, they went on the body, but they were external. Are of wild animals, wild animals coming from outside. Dever pestilence, that's the death of the animals. Let's, let's skip Shin for a second. Barad hail, that's coming from the sky. Arbe locust, that's, you know, that's locust coming from the sky also. Choshech darkness, external. And Makis bechoros, which is wild, it's, it is death, it only affected the firstborns. So, the Maka of Shechin, of Barad, is the only one that was like a disease-like that affected the, the people themselves. Everything else was not a disease, it did not affect, did not affect themselves. That's that's something that's very interesting and sticks out that I could, this is what I kind of guaranteed that probably most of the people probably didn't listen or knew about this idea, right? Probably, probably missed most of the different never ever guarantee somewhat sometimes on Tuesdays. So the, the, the idea behind the 10, what well, we started off where you had 10 makas corresponding to the 10 uh, mamars, the 10 sayings that Akadish Baruch created the world. What maka do you think corresponds to this, which, which mimer, which, which saying of that a Kaddish Baruch who created the world corresponds to this maka. So it's interesting that the Maharal who brings us down says the maka of Shechin corresponds to the, the mimer, to the, to where, where Kaddish Baruch says, where Kaddish Baruch said, we will let us make man. Where man was created, that's where, what corresponds to Shechin. Look how big Shechin is. That corresponds to the making of a man. Why? Because this is the only one that affected man's body so directly. This what affected the human body. This, this was, this came with a disease kind of almost from within. It's a disease that attached to the body and, and, and grew within the body. And we'll soon see to the, what extent. And f- furthermore, when when it says Vayamalakim Nasa Adam, the next words is Bitsalmenu Kidmusenu will make like our image and our likeness. The maka of Shin, which we'll soon see, was something that completely distorted the human figure. It was so bad that you didn't look human afterwards. It, 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 it tainted even the spiritual idea of of what a human being look is into. So with that we got a little bit of an introduction. Let's look a little bit into the Makkah. So, the Makkah of, of Shechin, the Makkah of boils, there was 24 different kind of boils. Now, why is this important to know? There were some boils that were dry, some that were moist, some that were liquid, some were that were dry inside and moist on the outside, some moist on the outside, dry on the inside, some were hot, some were cold. But now, why do we have to know all this information about all these different boils? The reason for that being 
is that each boil required a different treatment. If someone has a certain sickness and they need a certain cream, very simple. You know that you have to buy this cream. It might be painful, it might be, but you have some sort of healing process psychologically, emotionally, physically. You know that there's some sort of healing process. But what happens when you have 24 different types of sicknesses that each one contradict another? So for one, one remedy would be hot water for one boil. For another boil, it will be cold water. For another boil, it will be no water. For another boil, it will be a certain ointment. For another, Meaning that th- there was no way that they were Egyptians were able to heal themselves. And furthermore, not only that, it also shows the miraculous. Usually when a body is stricken with a certain disease, it's universal to a certain extent. It's very rare that a, a body has to fight off 24 different infections of the skin simultaneously. Right, one. It's generally one. There's no like 24, which just shows another level of the of the miracle that happened. But the Egyptians were not able to do any sort of healing because what was good for one was bad for another. What was bad for another was good for one. So they were constantly running. There was nothing that they could do, and the extent of this. Maka was so bad that that and and so extensive that even after the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, the Maka still stayed. The, the, they still suffered to a certain extent from the boils. Some of them were healed partially, some were more, were, were less, but there was still remnants of this Maka. The Egyptians would not be able to stop scratching the the the, the, the itchiness, right? Sometimes. I don't know how to explain this, but you know how you have an itch and like, imagine right now you have an itch in your nose, right? There's like something tickling over there. You just want to scratch that tip right there, right? Like, oh, it's like, oh, it's like right there. And now, by the way, that I'm saying that you're like, okay, no, I'm not going to scratch. I'm not going to scratch. I'm not. It's all psychological. You have nothing over there. Above your left eyebrow, there's also something that you need to scratch over there. You realize that? And you're like, no, it's not going to. But like, you feel it. Like, there's something there. There's like, did a fly just land on me? I'm pretty sure there was something that just, whenever you, you like, uh, listen to something, let's say about fleas or ticks or things like that, all of a sudden, you start itching all over. Like, wait, what? Do I have that? You know, like, Oh, hypochondriacs all of a sudden we're thinking that we have that disease. But that's, you know, itchiness is like on the top of that, of that level. The Egyptians had this itchiness that they had to just like scratch. Like there was, the, it, it was, it was blisters and it was dry and it was more, and it, but every time, if they were scratch it, they could scratch the skin, but when they removed their hand, the skin did not stay where it was supposed to on their body. It kind of just like came off with them and it was very painful. And they did not want to scratch, but they had to scratch, but they couldn't scratch because it was too painful to scratch. So, th- and, and furthermore, it also settled eventually to, to gangrene. Gangrene is, is where, is, is a condition where there is a lack of blood supply to your tissue that causes the tissue to die and the, and the body part will change colors. And people need to get amputated because of that. It could, you could see like a black toe. If someone, let's say for someone who has diabetes, who has low blood circulation in their extremities. So they would have to, they would, they would need to sometimes amputate it because the, the, that, that limb, that body part is like completely dead and that could spread. The Egyptians, they, it was so bad that it went into their blood, into their, into their body, into the tissue, into the muscle, and it destroyed the body. It deformed the body. The infected flesh just kind of like, just 
peeled off like like a nuclear attack and just like you know like they would sneeze and like like part of the body part of the face just like just like just left them it was just like it was it was in such an infectious disease that the they, they looked distorted they didn't look human they didn't look human anymore and not only that the the, the what happens when you're exposed you know the 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 skin the subcutaneous fat the muscle what's left is is bone and you are able to see in, in you know in many people you were able to see bones i i remember once i i was in a hospital or a nursing home i don't remember this is many many years ago where um i was sitting over there and the nurse was changing a bandage of a patient and i was sitting with this patient and i and i don't know i i'm curious i look i shouldn't look oh whatever I, different story right uh so this all of a sudden they're taking it and the bandage in the wound just keeps on coming out and there was a hole there was a, a hole there and when you look into the hole and by the way you don't have to look it was a big hole you see white like you i saw bone like I and I couldn't believe it. I saw the and and I was like, oh my gosh! And when I was like reading about the maka, a maka of shchin, this is what you saw. People like people would be missing chunks of a leg, and you just see the bone. You see the bone over there through the muscle through the thing. Can you imagine the suffering that they had to go through? It and the worst, the worst of the blisters, the worst of them was a skin disease that was called rasan. Rasan is something that not only infected the skin, infected the tissue, it also infected the brain. And this disease, the, the symptoms of it were runny nose, there was drooling, there was a loss of blood, there was a weakness that they were unable to even stand. It affected the nervous system that they weren't even able to understand, to stand. Now, what's crazier and, and, and how part of the disease was spread was they were sitting over there, the Egyptians, very weak, hard to understand, hard to move, and they're, body themselves was disintegrating in front of their own eyes and then they would have these hornets or bees that would fly and i don't know how to say this that you won't get grossed out like i'm trying to but i just don't know how to but they would go in the cavities right in the holes of these human and they would you know rummage around inside the egyptians open holes now that was newly created that they should have been there and they took you know they they got some sort of the disease and then they went to somebody else and they this is how the disease was this particular disease rasan was um you know was 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 transferred and was carried on from egyptian to egyptian now to make matters worse for the egyptian besides the blisters they were also stricken with something called saras Tsaras came along with the with the boils. The the Egyptians they kept the Jewish men from their from from their wives, as if they were stricken with Tsaras. Tsaras is leprosy. As if you were leprosy, they weren't allowed to be with their wives. Now, Kedush Baruch Hu did measure for measure. Now, says, now you're not going to be able to be with your wives because you will have leprosy. You will have the you know the Tsaras. And not only did they suffer from all these afflictions, any time some. If you have an open wound, if you, the nerves are exposed. So if you touch that, it, there is excruciating pain. 
So any time that they touched any part of their body where they tried to heal it or they tried to fix it, bandage it, there was bolts of pain that were shooting throughout their entire body through any slight pressure that was placed on them. And the extensiveness of this maca was there was it covered their entire their entire body. There was no patch of skin that was left unblemished. It transformed the entire appearance. And that's when the man law says that out of all the makas, this what affect, and particularly Paro, this affected Paro personally the most. He was in absolute agony as well as all the other Egyptians from head to toe covered in boils and blisters. And it's interesting that this maka, the maka of boils, the maka of shechen, ended the influence of the magicians. The magicians were the main supporters of Paro's resistance or prevention from letting the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim. And they would always go and they would always try to either duplicate the maca or they would always go and they would try to, to give some sort of natural reason to try to prevent Paro from going and letting the, the Jewish people out. So this maca, the maca of Shechin, the, the magicians were the first ones to get hit. First, they were started with the extremities. There was some sort of white leprous uh, type of uh, skin eruption that went all over their hands. And then it just crawled to the entire body. And even if some Egyptians recovered, the magicians never recovered for this. And this is the reason that after this, they were you never see hear about them anymore. They were they were ashamed to stand in front of Moshe. The Mam laws brings down that this is the last time that you see the mentioning of the Khatumim, the magicians, because their skin disease was so severe that most of them died a few days after the plague. After the, they, they could they couldn't last after it. The magicians, furthermore, were not able to duplicate this maca, the plague of the boils. First and foremost, they couldn't find a healthy person willing to be a candidate to try to be like, all right, why don't we try to put boils on you because you look healthy because all the Egyptians were covered and no Jew was looking to be the assistant of the magician to say like, yes, why don't you try me? You know, like I'm, I'm ready to, you know, to entertain. But the, 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 even if they would have, even if they would have found somebody, they had the faintest idea and how we're going to get soot. This light thing that comes lighter than ash, how are we going to get that to convert to boils? They couldn't even get to that stage, even if they would have gotten to that stage. So even though in the you know, in the mock of, let's say, of lice, the magicians were not able to duplicate it because uh, magic cannot happen on something that is greater than the size of a lentil. They were not able to duplicate it because lice was small and that they still were able to somehow advise Paro, don't let the Jews out. Keep the Jews over here. And they gave certain, you know, alternative rationales to, you know, for the for the plagues to like... Uh, um, that the reasons why don't let them float them out. But the, this maca, the maca of the boils, the magicians were unable to exert any influence. They couldn't, first, firstly, they couldn't even get the paro. They were so full of boils, they couldn't even, and they, were, they had the ras on, they couldn't even stand up. And now even if they would have been able to walk to the to the palace, they would be so embarrassed to stand in front of of Paro because their faces became so deformed, and they were beyond any recognition of what they used to look like. So, this was the the the, the first market that the Egyptians did not inter, intervene into the the thought process of of Paro, and this is something very interesting. Sam Sofer brings down that. 
Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu not warn? Okay, we gave many different reasons of why HaKadosh Baruch Hu throughout the classes, why Hashem didn't warn about certain plagues. But you want to know why Hashem didn't warn about this plague? What was the whole purpose of warning Paro that the plague is coming? He said, you know how like you have, how do you know someone's very strong and very powerful? Where you have someone that's going to tell you, let's say, let's say it's man-to-man combat. Right, hand-to-hand combat, and the person's going to say, "I'm going to hit you. I'm going to give you a right hook, a left roundhouse, a this I, I, exactly how I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to tell you, and I'm so confident that I'm going to still be able to beat you up that I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and you're still not going to be able to stop me. So that that shows the power of the person that I'm going to tell you what is going to happen, and let's see if you could prevent it. So Agadish Baruch said, "You think you're so powerful, the magicians and things like that? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do." Go prepare. Go study. Open your books. Go do research. Go do chazara. Do all that you need to do. See what you're able to do. See what you're able to do, and see if you're able to duplicate it. When it comes to the the to the maka of lice, for example, lice sorcery had no. There was nothing that could be done. It was smaller than a lentil. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "There's no point of me warning you about lice. You can't prepare. You can't do anything about it. So I'm not going to warn you about it. Boils." The, the reason there was also no, no warning, says the Chassam Sofer, is that the, even if you were, if I were to warn you, you couldn't prepare for it because the, by the time the Maka came, the Egyptians would have never came and be able to duplicate that Maka because they were so sick in their own home, they couldn't get out. And even if they would have get, been able to get out, they wouldn't want to get out because of their deformity. And thirdly, the Maka of darkness, which was also came with any warning, nobody was able to move. So even if Akadish Baruch warned them, they wouldn't be able to come out to go and duplicate it. So, says the Chassam Sofer, there was no benefit to give any warning. If there's no benefit, Akadish Baruch says, if it's superfluous, then why do I say it? No warning, and hence no warning. So here, now we understand why the, the, there was one of the reasons why we, there was no warning in this Maka, is there was no poor point of it, because the Egyptians wouldn't have been able to been duplicated, because then they couldn't move, they were so much in pain. And even if they could move, they couldn't find the candidate that would have been able to do it on. And even if they would have found the candidate, they wouldn't be able to do it because it would be impossible to do it from, from, uh, from, from Sut. So, when we look at the Maka, and if we just stop for a second, and we think about what our knowledge was prior to learning this information, what did you think about, and really maybe I should have started that. I should have started, and really what you should do before listening to any of the classes is take a pen and paper, on t- uh, classes on 10 Makos, write down everything that you remember on this Mako, and then listen to the class, and then realize on how much you're able to learn about something. Because you know what happens is that people go and they, they, they see a subject of a class, and they're like, okay, I know this topic already. Like, uh, So it would just show you how little that we actually know when we compare to the knowledge that we have to the knowledge that's presented in the information uh, you know, in these types of classes. Let's let's go a step further. The there was a mention that not only the Egyptians were suffering with the Maka of Shin, but also the animals. The animals, the Egyptian animals also suffered in this plague. So the first question that comes to mind is wait a minute, the previous Maka was pestilence ever. All the animals died. What how how the Egyptians have animals? So if you look at a Pasik in Shemais chapter nine, verse three, what animals died? It says HaKadosh Baruch says, you know what the animals are going to die? The ones that are out in the field. They were individual Egyptians. They were Egyptians that feared God. And they said, wait a minute, God said that all the animals in the field are going to die. Let me bring all the animals in, inside. And the Egyptians that brought the animals inside, they still had animals that survived the Maka, the plague of, of Dever, of pestilence. 
those animals now suffered from this makkah, the makkah of, of Shechin. Uh, it happens to be Paro's own flock all died. Whether he brought it in, whether he brought it out, doesn't matter. They all died. But there was some, the, there was some, the, you know, livestock that was still around by Egyptian ownership that was in Egypt. But now all of those were also stricken with boils. Now that we explain the Maka, we have to go and understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave this Maka. Everything that God does is measure for measure. Nothing is extreme. Everything is exactly the way that it's supposed to be. So let's go through a list of why the Egyptians needed to suffer from this Maka of boils. So the first reason is that the Egyptians used to force the Jewish people to be bath attendants. Now, what does it mean, bath attendants? So, you know, in Egypt, the, if if the water was cold, the Jewish people had to warm it up. Whether it's body heat or whatever it was, they had to warm it up. If it was if it was too too hot, they had to cool it off. Whether they jump it in, right? So, if you jump it in, it cools off. If you're cold and warm, you know, there's body heat, right? Ninety seven point six, right? You have you have body. So they they had to the the Jewish people were suffering to make the baths of the Egyptian the right temperature. And when, once the temperature was right, the Jews had to leave the baths, and now the Egyptians would enjoy the, the pleasures of the baths, and the Jews wouldn't be able to. So now the Egyptians, with the boils, would be unable to use the baths. Number two is the Egyptians would give some sort of propaganda, sort of an anti-Semite propaganda, telling about the deformities of the, the Jew and how difficult and disgusting and blah, 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 all the, all the bad things of the Jew, similar to how some certain media outlets uh, present Jews uh, today, unfortunately. So the propaganda that the Egyptians showed the Jews as disgusting and depraved, now the Egyptians were even more repulsive than they represented the Jewish people in the time in Mitzrayim. <clears throat> the next reason is that the Jewish people, the Jewish people were overloaded with work. So much so is that the Egyptians beat them. And when they beat them, they produce wounds. They produce blisters. They produce, you know, you know, uh, uh, skin rashes. And they would never be able to treat those wounds because they would constantly have to work. So imagine somebody excuse me, somebody was was sick and they had some sort of skin rash and not only that, they would still have to work under the sun, under the whip, under the clothing. They would still have to schlep things under the blister back where the Jews would be completely sore and completely the, the, the skin is open and the wound is exposed and they would force the Jews to continue to work. So now, just like the call, they caused the Jews to have blisters through the years, hundreds, uh, 200, the, the, the 200 plus years in Mitzrayim, now the Egyptian are suffering the same consequences that they gave to the Jews. The next reason is that the Jews were for, forced to work under the heat of the sun. And anybody know that got sunburned or got, you know, they would suffer from it and it would turn into boils and turn into a rash. So too, the Egyptians now got the rash. The, uh, the Egyptians also kept the Jews from their wives, prevented them as if they were afflicted with boils. Now the Egyptians were also separated from their wives with real boils, um, to, to the same extent. The Jews also had to build, uh, and, and, uh, um, uh, furnish bricks. And one of the ways they make bricks is through fire. And the Jewish people had to bake it in the furnaces and they would get burnt from it. And now, Midah Kenege Midah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the Egyptians the, the blisters that the Jews got from the, from the furnace. And in addition to something we spoke about before about the itch, the serious itch is that if a Jew had some sort of itch and they wanted to stop working for a second and scratch or rub or, or heal, the Egyptians did not let them. 
they would refuse to the level of 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 depravity that they, they they that they put the Jewish people is that not only the Jewish people were suffering under the heat of the sun, under the blisters on the black, under the cuts on their skin, under the bruises that they had, they had to continue work and they got beaten on those bruises. But even if they stopped for a second just to make an itch, the Egyptians wouldn't let them. They would not let them itch. So just like they didn't let them itch, now the Egyptians are not able to itch themselves. You think about it now. You think about it that itch is a serious thing, right? It could take it take a serious toll. The Egyptian also slaughtered the Jewish children so that they the Paro could bathe in the blood because of what? Because he had saras. Now the Egyptians have saras. They were fucking the saras. The the Egyptians also forced the Jewish people to enslave labor that is unnatural. They made the men do woman work and the women do men work, meaning things that would make it psychologically more difficult for the for the slaves to work. So because they gave unnatural work to the slaves, now they were were stricken with unnatural boils as well. So. That is the idea behind the uh, a little bit of, a, of of an understanding of what happened in the in the maka of 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 Shechen, of the boils. Now, at the end of the maka, it says that Hakadosh Baruch Hu hardened Paro's heart. The first five makas, Paro refused to send the Jewish people out of his own free will. But from maka of Shechen and on, now Hakadosh Baruch Hu prevented hardened. The, the, the correct, ter, you know, terminology is Paro's heart from letting the Jews out. Now, the question is why out of all the plagues did we stop with boils? Is that the one that Akadish Barhu strengthened Paro's heart? So the Ramban says that the other plagues, the magicians strengthened Paro's heart. This is the first plague that the magicians were no longer involved. They were no longer involved because they were too stricken. So they were not able to strengthen Paro's heart and convince him not to send it out. So that's why Kedush Baruch Hu strengthened specifically this one. But then says the Ramban, so wait a minute. If God prevented Paro from, from letting the Jews out, why is Paro getting punished? After all, maybe he would have let the Jews out and, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is preventing it. Answers the Rambam, the Ramban, Nachmanides, that w- when Hashem hardened Paro's heart, it wasn't because Paro was like, okay, I realize that there is a God. I realize that God controls the world. I realize that God has the power to manipulate nature and it has a power over everything. And now I want to listen to God, so now let me send the Jews out. And Hashem says, no, I'm going to harden your heart. I'm going to prevent you. That's not the way that it worked. Paro had no intention of listening to Hashem. The hardening of the heart was Paro was ready in a sense to say, okay, fine, let the Jews go, but not because he was doing tshuva. It was because he was suffering. And he says, I want it out already. I'm done with this suffering. Just let them go. Let them get out of here. So meaning that, says the Ramban, says the Ramban, if, if Paro would have done tshuva and he would have really wanted to let the Jews out because he wants to listen to Hashem, Hashem wouldn't have hardened his heart. He would have been able to go let go. But the, but the reason, one of the reasons why Paro was hard, was hardened is that he didn't do tshuva. He wanted to let them go for, for, for reasons that, that wasn't the right reasons. And hence, Agadish Baruchu said, no, they're going to stay and you're going to get the rest of the, of the makas. And the Rambamna, Maimonides, in Hilchas Tshuva, the sixth chapter of the third halacha, says that when someone does a sin willfully, 
consciously committing it, tshuva can be withheld. It will be difficult for this person to do tshuva. This is not something that's only for for uh, you know for paro. If someone does an avera willfully and does it also consistently and constantly and things like that to a certain extent, then yeah, you lose your free will to a certain expe- to a certain extent. Explains where Moshe Feinstein gives a chiddush over here something wonderful. That, you know, you look at paro, paro by learning on how Hakadosh Baruch Hu deals with paro, we can learn. On how Hakadosh Baruch Hu will deal with tzaddikim, Hakadosh Paro, on his own free will, prevented the Jews from leaving. He did not want to listen to God for the first five makas. Didn't want to listen to them. Didn't want to listen to God. Didn't want to hear. It showed what's obvious. He refused. He was arrogant. He was prideful. He was, he, he he sinned again and again. He lost it. He lost his free will. But says Ramosha Feinstein, now we can understand what happens if you have a righteous person. And this righteous person works on himself so hard that he removes his evil inclination from him. Meaning that it's not difficult for him to do, to not do this sin. He worked on himself so hard. And he doesn't. And, and David Amalek brings us down. David Amalek tells him, chapter 109, verse 22. My heart has died within me. The Gemara and Bava Basra, page 17a, explains this and says that I did so much good deeds that I was able to remove my Sahara. I was able to remove my evil inclination. What happens to someone like that, that you don't have the evil inclination anymore? Do you get reward for doing good if you have no more evil inclination? Says Ramosha Feinstein, from here we learn that everything God does is, 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 is on both sides, measure for measure. That if God, after someone works on themselves so hard in the negative way and does sin after sin, God removes the free will, they continue sinning, it's very hard for them, very difficult for them to do tshuva. So too, if someone works on themselves so hard, and pushes themselves until it becomes, the learning becomes easy, modesty becomes easy, Shabbos becomes easy, kosher becomes easy, brachos becomes easy, you get full reward for that. Full reward for that. Because you got, just like Paro is getting punished, so too you will get the full reward depending on, on, on how much you worked on yourself. Even, even if it was easy for you to do it. Because you worked on yourself. Because you got to that level. When we look at this Mako, and we look at the severity of what the Egyptians have to suffer, there are many lessons that we can learn out of this. First of all, the appreciation. Once you deal, once you learn about the afflictions that people go through, you can appreciate the fact that you don't have a burn. You don't have a blister. You have to thank Hashem for that, right? You ever think, you have an itch, you can itch. And your nose doesn't fall off, Baruch Hashem, right? You, you know, like, you, 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 you know, like, you have some sort of, even if you have a, some sort of skin issue, but you're able to put on cream, you're able to do something, you're able to heal. There's so many things that we could stop for a second and have so much gratitude with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we don't have to follow through this. But furthermore, we see the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And not only the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but how HaKadosh Baruch Hu works mida keneget mida. Everything is measure for measure. Anybody that does bad will get punished duly, unless they do tshuva. Anybody that does good will get rewarded duly because they deserve it. And we learn that HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care, takes care of his own. His own people, right? Because Baruch Hu takes care of the chosen nation. That if something bad happens, if something bad has occurred to whoever was, Agadish Baruch Hu takes care of what needs to be taken care of. The truth of the matter is, it's not only for the Jewish people, it's also for everybody Agadish Baruch Hu takes care of. Yeah, if you're good, and you do good, and someone does bad, don't worry about it. Agadish Baruch Hu has his way of handling it. But when we're preparing for the Seder, and we're coming to the Seder, how imperative, how important it is that we take 
a moment or an hour or a few hours to review this. This is the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to, 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 to do the sipar Yitzhak Mitzrayim, to learn about the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And the more that you say about the story, the more, the, the greater you are. Raise a shubach. The greater it is that you're praised. And I can guarantee you things that you thought you knew. There was definitely things over here that you, you did not hear, hear of or think of or think of before. Which just shows us that how much we have to prepare and how much as we come to the Seder, we have to prepare and we have to, we have to, you know, not only prepare for our Seder, we also have to prepare for our life. <laughs> right? We have to stop for a second and we have to think just like we think we know a subject. And we come to the realization that we really don't know. When we think about our life, we have to come to the realization that we think we know what we're doing. Yeah, but really we don't know. Really we don't know. It gives a little bit of realization of reality, a little bit of reality check. With that, we'll open up to questions and uh, we'll hopefully we'll have to finish it off a little bit early. Uh, you know, so any questions, please uh, do it now because I'm not going to be able to stay that much longer. Okay. Um, oh, not much came in. Okay. Uh, hello, Rabbi. Where can I read it more about the deeper understanding of the plagues? So that's a great question. <laughs> if I were to turn around, I have on my chair over here, I would say 26 or 27 different sfarim that I went through for this, um, for this. So I could give you a list of the 27, uh, different sfarim that I, that I went through. Um, but I, I haven't found any safer that came out that has an in-depth explanation of all the Makos. Um, the closest one that would probably have it was either, let's say, a, the Medrash, right? The Medrash on Parshas Vayera and Parshas Bar, with, which speaks about the Makos, or Rabbi Yosef Deutsch does have um, um, books on the the story of of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but also that, like, he goes in depth, but but not not as much depth as we have over here. Maybe it's an idea for for a safer at one, at one point in time. But yeah, I, I, the, I, I don't know anywhere else where you could read it. If you do find a place that you can read it, please send me because I'm always looking for more about sources. Oh, now my Mamlaws also. Mamlaws also has sources. Um, that is that is correct. That's one of the midrashim. That it's an anthology of the midrashim. So that's a good source as well. Um, I think though, Rav Yosef Doch has more than the Mamlaws, but but that would probably be the best. Yeah, the, the two big ones. Other ones, if you want. I mean, I don't know that I'll write you the thing, but I could probably spread out the twenty six, twenty seven farm that I have here, and I could just send you a picture of it. But that probably that's not going to help. All right. Looks like that was the last question. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for tuning in to the live. Uh, well, not not only the live, but also the recording thing. Until next time, when we'll do the Bizarre uh, Hashem, we'll do the next Makkah, and we'll see how far how far we get to. And slowly, slowly but surely, we'll cover the ten Makkahs. If you think about it, it's crazy because each Makkah we do about an hour, so you'll have about ten hours. You see, there could last you all night just speaking about the speaking about the you know the Makkah. Okay. Thank you all for joining and have an amazing, amazing night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.